Welcome to the Year of Joy. The Year of Joy is all about inspiring and empowering people to live more joyfully. I'm Andrew Cannon. I'm co-founder of the Art and Science of Joy and one of the Year of Joy hosts. And welcome to the week of optimism. And we're super excited to kick off the Year of Joy by diving into the power of optimism and how it can bring us joy. And we're even more excited to have Victor Purton and Nori Mosley as our featured experts on optimism. Victor is the founder and chief optimism officer for the Center of Optimism. And he's also author of the book, Optimism, the How and Why. The Center of Optimism is a think tank dedicated to asking people the simple yet powerful question, what makes you optimistic? and fostering the realistic and infectious optimism the world needs in 2023 and beyond. Noreen works with Victor, the Centre for Optimism, and leads their Optimism Training and Education Program. Welcome, Victor and Noreen. Andrew, it is a delight and may I say a joy to join you as we're looking to this year of joy uh, everywhere I go, the word appears. It doesn't matter whether it's in church or listening to music or in conversation. Joy is uh, almost electrified in my ears. What do you reckon, Noreen? Absolutely. Took the words right out of my mouth, Victor. Um, yeah, and it's joyful to be here. So joyful. Thank you for having us. Excellent, excellent. I've also found it's very um, prolifically used in the nail spa business. Um, it seems that everywhere I go around the world, there are nail spas named Joy. So that's just a little <laughs> bit of fact well, that are. I never knew, never noticed before. They probably always were, but I never noticed it. But now. Well, my former mother in law was called Joy as well. There you go. It's popping up everywhere. It's popping up everywhere. So that's a good place to start when you talked about that, Victor. I'd love to know how both of you got on the optimism train. Were you born optimist? Did something happen in your lives to trigger you from the world's biggest pessimists into the world's biggest optimists? How did it happen? For, for me, I, I don't think it, it was a conversion. So um, for me, the more I think about it, it it's generations old. You know, it's my great-grandparents and, and my grandparents in this struggle um, struggle with, with Tsarist Russia, Soviet Russia, you know, refugees. Uh, my mother widowed when I was about the age of eight. Um, so a refugee in a strange land, but always, you know, chin up, keep going, strong and calm, I manage my life. So, so for me, I, I think it's intergenerational. And then, you know, the revelation that I needed to make it my life. Um, came in around 2017. I had spent two years bewildered by the negativity of Australian language around leadership. And, and we'd done a, a large project called the Australian Leadership Project. We'd interviewed thousands of people. And at the end of the project, we still concluded that Australian leadership was pretty good. Mm. So why the negativity? And my eureka moment came at the Global Integrity Summit in 2017. The problem was not the problem of leadership. The problem was the fog of pessimism. And mm -hmm. so since 2017, it's been my crusade rather than just my innate trait. Nori? Well, thank you for leading with that, Victor, because, of course, you inspired me, as you know. Um, I, you know, without much awareness, 
uh, Andrew, I think I was always very optimistic for everyone else. Um, I used to kind of always like lift people up and, you know, kind of encourage people. But I never felt so much optimism for myself, I guess. I mean, I would still persevere. I was very resilient. But of course, we all know that resilience without optimism doesn't go very far. You have to have optimism. So I was invited to an event in 2017 and Victor just started his his campaign. And I was really inspired by him. And the fact that he was doing it at a time that really, you know, it wasn't maybe entirely cool, but he was just, he owned it. And he went for it. He was passionate and he just won everyone over and he won me over. And he won so many people over and he still does that to this very day. So I guess that was sort of how I got on the train. And then in doing that, I examined myself more and I realized that if I actually worked at this and practiced a few mindset changes, adopted some new habits, that actually I could really feel internally a lot more optimistic for myself. And then I... I did become more optimistic, but I qualify my optimism. So I would say that uh, while, and Victor, I hope you don't mind me describing you like describing you like this, but you're an infectious optimist without a doubt. I am probably more of a cautious optimist, a bit of a worried optimist, but I am an optimist nonetheless. And I do believe that at some point things will get better and things will work out in the end. So that's my story. Brilliant. Well. The world is all the better for having you both on the optimism train. So no matter how you got on, um, we are really grateful to, to have you doing this work. And you talked, Noreen, a bit about um, that there's work behind optimism. So we'll get into that a bit later. And you also talked about maybe different types of optimism. I suppose that's a question that mm. I'm always asked. Um, what is an optimist? Um, are there different types? Um what's optimism versus realism um so maybe you could tell us a little about that Are, is there more than one type of optimist can i answer that because i actually i absolutely so believe that and that's why i describe myself as a cautious optimist and i think and victor jump in here please if, if you'd like we have found in the last couple of years in just talking in, uh, uh, about optimism and spreading it and just engaging with people we find that a lot of people who sort of sit on the fence, didn't want to kind of say they were optimists, actually bought into the whole notion of optimism by actually qualifying. So, you know, I'm, I think I'm cautious, a bit of a worried optimist. Some people say they're realistic optimists. Other people might say I'm a thinking optimist or in Victor's case, infectious, um, a humorous optimist, uh, a pensive optimist. So I think Qualifying it, if this answers your question, allows more people to buy into it because it sort of feels like it's more them. They can sort of like they they can fit it on themselves better. So um, yeah, that's just my answer, um, and it's worked for me. Victor, we've collected uh, many many different examples of, of the expression of optimism, and um, you know when we, we when we ask the question. So for instance, we actually door knocked an entire town, Andrew. Um, in a remote part of Australia. And there, um, it was remote, it was in the country, farmers, retired farmers, small business people. Natural optimism was off the Richter scale. You know, it was the dominant optimism. Hmm. Recently, I led a retreat for nurses and midwives for one of our biggest hospital systems. Um, and of course, they've had the, the pressure of COVID and everything else. And for them, what was interesting was natural optimism was actually 
a very small percentage of them. They were mindset optimists. You know, you, you, you're a nurse. However hard you work, you are going to lose some patients. If you're a palliative care nurse, you will lose 100% of the patients. So how do you do your best mm. in the face of sickness and, and death? And um, in that lot, it was, it was mindset and life experience as the, the source of optimism. But, yeah, just when I, I look at, at, you know, the sort of examples we found people describing themselves, ebullient optimism, encouraging optimism, fervent optimism, healthy optimism, heart-based optimism. We've collected um, over a 100, Andrew, and we actually have an exercise, which is choose your optimism superpower. So we ask people to pick one of those and write a paragraph about that optimism superpower. No, that's brilliant. And that's what we'll be giving all of our um, Year of Joy community members the opportunity to do. So it's going to be fascinating to see what spread of optimists we end up with amongst our community members. So, mm. so that's fantastic. Let's get back personal just for a moment and, and think about your lives today. Um, how does optimism show up for you? How do you recognize that optimism is in your lives at the moment? Nori? Um, sure, I'll go first. I um, I just, it's like kind of, you know, joy. We spoke about the word joy and now we're seeing it everywhere. It's like, you know, red car, you see red cars everywhere. I guess I see so much optimism now that I'm so fully engaged and it's been unlocked in me, I guess. Um, and I see it in just the littlest of things uh, and the biggest of things. But the littlest of things are lovely. You know, um, there is honestly so much more goodness in the world and I see it every day. I see, you know, someone drops something on the ground and three people come over. An old lady might be just miss a step and she might just fall and while she's okay, seriously, people that you didn't even know were around just to send and help. Mm. Uh, I think it's the optimistic spirit in people. It's the goodness, it's the joy in people that I see um, the most optimism in because that is a good and, and that is what will endure people in life in generations to come because i think it's in us as humans mm. it really is it's got to unlock it and see it more you know and celebrate it so um that's the personal for me yeah. victor and for me it's because i'm asking people that question what makes you optimistic so you know today i published a, a member of parliament uh yesterday i published um an, Indi an australian indigenous leader an aboriginal mm. leader and her optimism and um, you know, it was quite evocative, you know, in her case, it was, it was about love. Um, and, you know, we, we hold bigger events. So, you know, like, um, on the weekend, uh, I attended a yoga retreat and typical people, they were over fifties and to go right round the room and to hear people talking about, you know, looking at life through the eyes of a grandchild, you know, the, that notion of, of that wonderment and, and others talking about that life experience and others talking about it. So for me, it's this lovely thing that's above my head on the slide. If you ask people what makes you optimistic, and the second thing I ask, Andrew, in every conversation is what's been the best thing in your day? Mm. And um, even today I was ordering some spectacles from a spectacle shop um, and uh, the email came back from the, the woman who's running the shop to say, and what's been the best thing in your day, Victor? You know, nice. once people adopt that habit, um, 
it actually brings you great joy because people share those stories and narratives. So for me, it, it, it's that, you know, several times a day I'm asking those questions of mm -hmm. people, some important, some less important, but everyone inspiring, Andrew. Uh, I think it's one. I think that's something we should do in the in the chat room, right? When we're giving activities to the community mm -hmm. members to to let them go out and ask these questions and to ask themselves, but also to ask the other people they meet over these weeks. And let's see what a sort of wave of optimistic joy we we develop as a community. I think that's going to be fascinating. Andrew, I had a. I was in my supermarket the other day, and there was a a bloke behind the cash register, and he looked at me and said, "Because." We'd been wearing masks for a while. Now I'm not wearing a mask. And he looks at me and says, you're the one that told me to change my greeting. I smiled. And he said, oh, look, I just don't have time to listen to all those good stories. <laughs> uh, that's, that's beautiful. Yes, we have been wearing masks um, during COVID, but I think we've also been wearing masks for a long time in our lives as adults as we've sort of put on these serious sort of adult-like masks and, and maybe forgotten the joy and the optimism that, Noreen, you mentioned that we have naturally as children. Mm. So it might be a learning about optimism or maybe reframing it to say relearning, rediscovering our innate mm. optimism that we have mm. as humans, mm. which brings me to, you know, the pioneering psychologist um, Martin Seligman, you probably know very well, Victor, who wrote the book, um, Learned Optimism, How to Change Your Mindset and Your Life. And, and obviously, if anyone looks at the top of my Twitter feed, there is me asking Martin Seligman, what makes you optimistic? There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Go and go and look at that, everybody. And obviously he thinks that, you know, optimism is a state of mind, as you do, right? It can be cultivated and it, and it can be learned. I presume you both agree with with Martin on this. Mm. Oh, indeed. I mean, the statement that I use is optimism is a state of mind, not a state of the world. Mm. You know, and, and in fact, I used it the other day. I said, look, it, it's in the darkest times you need optimism, you know, and, and, you know, those great pieces of writing, man's search for meaning and the like, um, you know, it's in the concentration camps. My, you know, my grandmother survived the gulag. Mm. Yeah, a dozen years in the gulag, a camp where hundreds of thousands of people died. And yet in 1987, still alive, on a walking frame, she said to me, I'm going to outlive communism. And, of course, four years later, she did. So mm. it, it, it is in that darkness. And um, our favourite definition of optimism is actually almost 700 years old, Andrew. Um, it comes from an English mystic, Mother Julian of Norwich, Mm. who lived through the Black Plague. And the Black Plague made COVID look like a picnic. You know, 30% right. of the European population died. Um, you know, just the, the death toll was extraordinary. And she got sick, uh, prayed to God, recovered, and said, if I recover, I would devote myself to God. And her book is the oldest surviving book in English by a woman. And there's a famous sentence in it. All shall be well all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well, right? So you can be up to the gazumba in a plague, but everything's going to work out. And had she lived 700 years, she could have written the Harvard Medical School definition of optimism, which is um, a belief that good things will happen, 
and that things will work out in the end. To which Noreen often adds a very clever expression. What is it, Noreen? And if it hasn't worked out in the end, it's not the end. Ah, <laughs> I love I that. Think, I think that's from Julian Lennon, actually, originally, isn't it, Victor? I think maybe I, I think I might have copied it from Julian. Well, John Lennon. Lennon, John Lennon, amongst others, but it's only people like uh, um, Andrew and me with great beards. Young young people like you, Noreen, would not remember John <laughs> Lennon. <laughs> I think I mentioned his son Julian. That might have kind of maybe happy. Well, that's together. your generation. Yeah. yeah. All, we, all we need I'll to do is imagine. And that's, let op- it... that's optimism, and I love it. Thank you very much. orientated, Andrew. I mean, often when I, I give public speeches, you know, I say, "Does anyone remember John Lennon?" And you know, there's a few, and I say, "What did John Lennon add to that definition?" And imagine is is the most frequent answer. You know, that orientation to the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. They had a lot going for them in the sixties. Those who remember those days, definitely, definitely. Well, the so, Beatles actually had a song. You know, it's getting better. It's getting better every day. And you know, you think of of you know Rosling's book, Factfulness, or Stephen Pinker, the head of psychology at Harvard, and his um, the Enlightenment, and even Bill Gates. You know, and and what he talks about in terms of. Um, vaccines and new medicines and the like, it is very much we can make a better future. I think it is changing the the mindset, changing the the language. I was pulled up on this by a very dear friend of me recently when we were talking about relationships and how they can often start very well and then sort of go downhill as you start worrying about how things can, can only get worse um from here and and she very wisely said to me well what if you change that mindset to worry about what if things could only get better right Mm -hmm. and now that's the question we ask each other wherever the day what if things could only get better from here let's worry about that and and the truth is you're right because either is possible so why not think about the one that's better or nicer you know or more optimistic right so right and shape our reality that way through our language through our language so that leads us beautifully into the question that people who aren't naturally optimistic ask me is what can i do about it how can i become more optimistic what concrete steps can i take so (laughs) who knows something about this maybe one of you let me think let me think let me 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 um yeah, I, I, I love this because there really is such optimism in learning how to be optimistic. It's possible. You know, it really is possible. And I think um, the first step is just to believe that it could be possible, right? And then if you actually look at some tools, some habits, and of course the big one, as Victor said, the unlocking, the actual unlocking of optimism in everyone. And it's like almost like a magic trick because it can only work. It, it's a magic trick, and that is what makes you optimistic. Mm. Bang. You're already thinking what's working. You can't even think of what's not working because it's not a possible answer to that question. So I think believing that it's possible to be optimistic and doing a what if and then working on it and actually surrounding yourselves with other people who believe in it and who live it Um Really, it's like osmosis. It actually happens, but you got to work at it. You got to work at it, and like every convert, you know, you become quite 
you know, an advocate for it after that. So, I mean, anyone that sort of, you know, I think is standing down and saying, no, 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 it's really quite possible. Like really, you know, I'm a realistic optimist. I'm a cautious optimist, but I am an optimist. And for me, the biggest thing, Andrew, was removing the time. So I decided that, oh, this is really, really rubbish. This is not good. I mean, things aren't good, right? Stuff happens, it's tragic, it's not good, right? Call a spade a spade. But in time, it'll get better. It'll get better. In time. Let's not say exactly when, but in time, it will get better. And it does. That is amazing. That is amazing. The thing about time, that Mm. we often make up these deadlines for ourselves, which are totally just made up. If we remove those deadlines, then all of a sudden we move the the mindset from, yes, it's tough today, but in a different time frame, it will get better. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, Victor, add to that. Little habits, Andrew. It's some. I go to a, a very busy cafe, you know, here in Port Melbourne, and I get treated like royalty by the barista, by the chef, by the waitresses. For the simple reason that I take an interest in them, Mm. I ask them, what is the best thing in your day so far? Mm. And when I leave, I always say thank you. Mm. You know, whether the eggs were good or the the coffee had an interesting pattern on it. And and so one of the habits of the optimist is just more thank yous. Mm. You know, it doesn't need any great journal writing or anything, just more thank yous. And, And you watch people's reaction to a thank you, even when it's not necessary. Um, the other one we love is the one the Dalai Lama recommends, which is smile and say hello to everyone. Mm. Now, there are some cultures where it doesn't work, particularly post-Soviet cultures, uh, some communist cultures, you know, people are suspicious of strangers. Mm. But in most cultures, a little smile and saying hello to everyone works. And and then Bishop to, Archbishop Tutu, you know, who was the hero of, of the war, of work against apartheid and ultimately got Mandela free. He used to say, God commands us to laugh. Yeah. So just, you know, laughing more and, and finding the humour in the everyday. And then, you know, just that love of nature, you know, just, mm. you know, you're, you're up north there, you know, out there in the pine forests and, you know, down here in the South Pacific, you know, for us it's the eucalypts and the kangaroos and, you know, watching out for brown snakes when you're walking. Um, but it's it's getting into nature as well. Yeah. And, and, and the question that we really love, you know, because the rubbish question that people ask in most English languages and certainly in, in French and in Austrian German is, how are you? Mm. Which you get, not bad, nisse pas, nicht schlecht. Um, they're just nothings. And so if you ask instead, what's been the best thing in your day? People will have a little think, Mm -hmm. but generally you'll bring a little joy into their lives. And if they say, oh, I can't think of anything, you'll say, well, did you have a good cup of coffee this morning? Or did you see the sunrise or the like? Mm -hmm. And they're very simple ways that bring both optimism and joy into the day-to-day of the person you're interacting with, Andrew. I think that's brilliant. And also, you know, in the Anglo-Saxon, even the American culture, where this awesome then becomes the the reaction, even if you've had the most horrible day ever, people just reply automatically, oh, awesome. Um, and so it's, it's just so unhelpful compared to the, the question I like, because it makes you think, right? And it makes you 
question, well, did I? And, and you'll always find as Noreen said at the beginning, the small things that mm. you'll find that they were always there. There was always something there mm. that you can find this joy and optimism in. I had to smile a lot, Victor, when you were talking about thank you, because gratitude is indeed the second joy superpower that we're going to be covering after optimism. Oh, so it okay. seems that we've got a couple of good friends coming together. So we have Chris Shembra, um, the gratitude guru, talking to us about gratitude in the second week of this year of joy. So I'm so happy we've got both of these two things out early. Mm. Well, gratitude is a strong underpinning for optimism. You know, it, um, that notion of, of being happy with what you, you've got. And um, oftentimes, you know, I, in, in my speeches, I, I talk about the science of optimism and, you know, how important it is for maintaining relationships. And I say, well, of course, if you've got a slightly pessimistic spouse, here's a trick for you. And so I say to people, keep a gratitude journal. So, you know, by the side of your bed, mm. when you're in your pyjamas or your nighty, you know, write down the three best things in the day. And they don't need to be big. But then, you know, if you've got that slightly pessimistic spouse, you might say, honey, I'm just writing my gratitude journal. Was there something good in your day? Mm. And after the fourth or fifth day, they'll rumble that you're trying something. But <laughs> in the meanwhile, it's one way of lifting the spirits of your spouse if they're not naturally optimistic themselves. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And we're going to have so many tips and inspirational actions that we're going to take in the optimist chat room and activity groups. I'm really looking forward to hearing back from folks how they're doing with all these little tricks and tips of how they can add more optimism. That's just through smiling or asking people these these simple and powerful questions. So thank you for that. You mentioned, Victor, the science. So let's just look at that for a moment that what are the benefits of being optimistic why should we bother doing this um please tell us what the science tells us well the, the compelling science now is that optimism is the key trait associated with healthy longevity in women living to 90 in men living to 85 and beyond it's not wealth it's not income it's not genetics it's not geography Harvard, the American military, the American Heart Association. I think there's now 30 or 40 globally recognized studies that say that optimism is the key trait associated with healthy longevity. Uh, you know, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. You know, optimists don't, you know, they have the same anxieties, but they don't ruminate on it. Mm. Um, you know, they tend to sleep better. Yeah. You know, you, you, you finish the day. The problems of the day are put aside and you sleep better. And then, you know, the really interesting additional work that's been done by the American Heart Association and others is that optimism is not only the key protective trait against cancer and heart disease and dementia, um, it's the key predictor of recovery. Mm -hmm. And that's why we've had so much interest from the cardiologist world. You know, I've been speaking in a number of hospitals, um, helping um, with the training of workforce uh, because they get it. What they want to know is how to do it. And then we've talked about relationships. Mm. You know, being married to an optimist is is a great blessing um, and gives you many of the same protective traits. Um, and then in the world of work, um, you know, I was led down this track by Dominic Barton, who is now the head of the world's largest mining company, Rio Tinto, when he was head of McKinsey Worldwide, he said to me, 
every great leader I've ever met is infectiously optimistic, mm. but it's not the big man or woman making a speech from the podium. It's the person who can unlock the optimism in the team. Right. And uh, Bob Iger has just become head of Disney again. In his biographical book last year, where he had the 10 traits of 2020's leadership, the number one trait was realistic and infectious optimism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's so much interesting work around leadership today requires infectious optimism. And then strategy, yeah, you can't be a good strategist unless you can paint optimistic scenarios where the company is better at the end of the strategic period than it was at the beginning. And then innovation, there's really good science out of Canada and elsewhere. Pessimists can't innovate. You know, so if you're an employer looking for people who are innovative, I wouldn't ask them the question, are you innovative? I'd ask them the question, what makes you optimistic? Um, You know, you think of people like Dyson, the vacuum cleaner guy, Mm -hmm. 5,000 iterations of the bagless vacuum cleaner before he achieved commercial success. And then the last one, and Noreen pointed to this right at the beginning of our conversation, you know, companies and governments are spending tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars on resilience. But you cannot be resilient. You can't persist in the face of difficulty unless you're optimistic, unless you believe that persisting in the face of difficulty will lead you to a better result. So whether it's your personal health, you know, whether it's the health of those around you, whether it's your mental health, your leadership, your strategy, your innovation or resilience, optimism and infectious optimism is the key. And, you know, realistic optimism is is the, the gold standard, um, you know, and, and, and we say that optimism is realism. Because, again, if you, you read Pinker or Rosling, you know the world is getting better every year, as the Beatles sang. Um, but Pollyannaism is not such a bad thing either. Um, and one of the leading uh, lady engineers in, in Melbourne recently said to me, she said, I am a Pollyanna. I only spend my time on things that are going to change the world for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or it, it's like the um, fashion designer, um, you know, Sue in, in New York. You know, she said, I watched the film Pollyanna when I was five. I said, I'm going to be that like that girl. Of course, she's a billionaire and, and a huge success um, in the fashion industry. Right. So, you know, whilst realistic optimism is the gold standard for leadership, there's a lot to be said for the Pollyanna. And you think of a Branson. You know, he's that curious mix of the realistic entrepreneurial optimist, but you always think there's a bit of a Pollyanna in that man too. <laughs> Need a bit of magic. Need a bit of magic. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what about then, you know, this all makes perfect sense to me. This all makes perfect sense. And, and and I see everything you're saying. And then I pick up the newspaper or I open the news on my mobile phone. And I'm told the different world exists where everything's going to the dogs and there's no hope. And it's, it's full of pessimism. What's this juxtaposition all about? that we have? Why isn't the media doing this optimism? cultural change in the media. So Pinker is actually very good on this. Pinker, um, Iya and others all talk about 
this change over the last 50 years. That in the 1970s, even into the 80s, the news was 50-50 good-bad. And part of it was technology, um, so that, you know, they had to use videotape or film, and there were only so many bad stories you could get a camera to. And, and you know, if you wanted to do some PR, some good news from a laboratory or a company, it would get a run. Yeah. Nowadays, of course, you know, bad news is cheap. You know, someone gets shot in a, in a Kmart in Louisiana or, you know, someone gets kidnapped in Burkina Faso. You know, it leads the news. Yeah. And there's also been a mindset change in the media. So this sensationalism, you know, and some people would blame Fox, the right would blame CNN, um, but part of it is the training of journalists. So my chairman, Robert Masters, described his training as a journalist. There were no university courses when he did it, but he, he describes it as being a crow on a wire. You know, you described what you saw rather than making yourself part of the story. Mm-hmm. And this cause-based journalism has tended to that. So you've got this training where journalists are taught how to write clickbait negative headlines. They're not taught to do clickbait positive headlines. Um, and you've also got this mindset in the newsroom. So the duty to us, I, I, I think it's too hard to fight against. Mm-hmm. You know, and Ear and Pinker all say, look, none of us can change the mindset of the newsroom. So as, as, as I think, um, Gandhi said, all we can basically do is all we can do. And so what we do is we spread positive stories. So for me, it's probably five times a week. I would use LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. If I see someone else sharing a good story, I'll spread it. So, so there's two elements to that. So for the person who wants to keep their sanity, you do not listen to the six o'clock or seven o'clock news before you get out of bed. Meditate, go for a walk, do anything other than listen to the news because you will be brought the worst of the world. Then secondly, as I say, in the day-to-day, ask people about their good news. And then if you're on social media or you've got the power to publish in magazines and newsletters and elsewhere, just share two or three stories a day. And if you're a businessman or woman, you know, something about a customer, you know, some problem that they've solved or something good Mm. that they've done. Um, you know, if you're in an NGO, tell us, you know, the, the people you've saved, the things that you've done, the things that you've seen and, you know, and, and, you know, often share beauty. You know, when I tweet pictures of my roses from my garden, they tend to get a hundred times uh, the likes and the retweets that my serious stories get. So, um, Rosling says you should feel sorry for the journalists. Mm. You know, that, that they grow up in this environment that is just so negative. And, and recently I saw in, in our local Channel 7, one of the journalists tweeted, she said, we went to cover a good news story today. God, what a rarity. So I think they're, you know, they're from, from the mouth of, of the journalists. So it's complicated, you know. But, but, you know, the other day for my birthday, Andrew, um, Radio National, the Australian national broadcaster, ran an hour of Victor Purton, The Secret to Optimism. There you go. So it's not all doom it's and not all bad news. But you can sell your message. Um, you know, you can still get a run for good news. Noreen, would you add to that? 
Oh, gosh. I mean, there's not much I can really add to, except I suppose really practically reflect on three points from that. And, you know, one obviously is just, you know, if you can't control what's happening over here negatively, just throw out more positive. And then who, whoever's lucky, hopefully we'll see more of this and less of that. So you feel a little bit more in control if you, if you can put out something good. And that's a good thing in itself. Um, obviously, when things kind of go wrong, you've got to address them and look at them and deal with them and, you know, help where you can. And again, that's like realistic optimism in a way, insofar as that time will support, help make that better. Um, and, and we move on, right? So there is that as well around what is really happening and, and what needs to be looked at from a realistic um, point of view. And I think thirdly, just the habit, the habits of, as Victor said, just regulate your news you know you have to hear stuff it's you know it's live you got to hear stuff you've got to be realistic enough about it but just don't let it invade you don't mm. let it take away the light that is in inside and uh, and don't allow the work that you do on yourself on your optimism on your resilience to be dimmed by the absorption of all this stuff because it is out there it's how you manage it as well absolutely absolutely and again you know going back to our age Victor when remembering when basically you know we had the news once a day right it was either the six o'clock or the eight o'clock news in the evening and you had that half an hour which was you know 27 minutes of bad news and then three minutes of good news but that was all you got during the day now when it's 24 7 and you're getting the same news again and again and again every half an hour this negativity it really is consuming so one of my favorite tips really is again as Vic said don't look at it in the morning. Um, do all the other things you can do until you actually want to look at the news. Do it in the middle of the day. And secondly, okay. just look at the headlines. Right? Don't click on the on the bait. Right? You'll find over time you'll get enough from just reading the headlines, and the media will realise with less and less people clicking on their clickbait that it's less effective. So we can make choices to start influencing this. Um, and spreading the good news reminded me of a guest I had on a podcast earlier, Kai Fuentes, who was talking about self-love and the negativity bias related to that and saying <clears throat> her trick was when you said one, we had one negative thought about yourself, think of three things you like about yourself. And again, if you see one bit of negative news story, why don't we do Victor's thing and spread three positive things you've seen, three oh, nice. pictures of roses or anything fun happening. And we'll change that balance. And we can do that first of all in our community. I want everybody who's going into the chat room to, to work on optimism, to start spreading all these great things that they, they mm -hmm. see. And we will start changing this reality. As Victor said, you know, we can't change the newsroom today, but through our actions individually over time, we will create the newsroom of tomorrow because that's what will sell. Optimism will sell in the future. Um, so we create that world where we click on the optimistic stories and ignore all the other ones, and it happens. Andrew, you know... And, and the creation, the creation of, of the stories, you know, and, it, and we visit people. We, you know, there are people doing amazing things in our community. Yeah, and even if you just talk to your local doctor, you know, about something he did or she did, you know, or, or the gardener, yeah, and, and I, you know, whenever I'm driving along the road and I see workmen doing gardening or the like, I always stop my car and just say thank you to them. Mm. You know, and, they say, and the other day I was in the botanical gardens. The Melbourne has these beautiful, beautiful 1850s 
classical, you know, um, European gardens. And I was walking along and, and, you know, the flowers, because we're going into summer, you know, the flowers were blooming, beautiful garden beds of daffodils. And these two workmen were coming up on a little vehicle and I said, stop, stop. And they looked at me in trepidation, thinking that I was going to complain about something when I just said, thank you. These gardens are stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, you could just see that it was, they were almost bewildered to have someone praising them rather than complaining. Absolutely. We were staying with a friend down in a house um, in southern Texas where they came in ground to cut off the electricity because they had to mend some poles because of the damage. Right. And the, this poor guy it must be one of the worst jobs in the world to go and knock on everybody's door and tell them that they, your electricity is going to be down for the next X many hours. And, and so the guy comes and knocks on our door and he's greeted with a thank you saying, hey, well, really, thank you, you know, for the next hurricane that's going to come. This is going to be really useful that you've done this. It's going to save a lot of effort. And he looked at us like, that's really weird. Right? He says, everybody else is complaining that oh, all the stuff in my fridge is going to sort of go off and, and that. So he, he just looked at you as though we were aliens talking about thanking him for doing his job and the same thing with these guys probably in the gardens right most people would only stop them to say hey there's rubbish over there or you missed that bit so change that story and it lights these people up who are just doing their job maybe we do the same to the journalists maybe we start sending them little messages of saying hey i do do you know i you know my clipping service only shows me articles that have got the word optimism optimistic or optimist in it and any journalist who's used it, now if I've got the email or the Twitter or the like, I will send them a message to say, I loved your article. There. Brilliant. Let's do that. Noreen. And there's not many people who do it. So it gets through. And it's positive reinforcement. I mean, that's like a, a wonderful, a wonderful habit in itself. Um, no, I was actually going to say, you know, I think part of the change, um, you know, we talked about the, the antidote to the whole, you know, negative uh, press and information and what we're seeing and people looking at. But I think also it's conversations like this. You know, I mean, like, can you imagine if a whole bunch of journalists was to look at this conversation and go, okay, of course, that's interesting. Like awareness, creating awareness. And also maybe even their bosses kind of went, okay, so I suppose it is about the dollar, but, you know, gosh, maybe we really should cover things that are out there really happening because it's not all doing and gloom we should really be covering things in a more balanced way anyway i mean go figure that could be good journalism right. so i think awareness and uh, these kinds of conversations and 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 a new a new thinking new thinking perhaps new thinking brilliant so we're getting towards the end of our conversation i said we could talk forever on this and we <laughs> no doubt will over time and looking forward to having you guys joining us in the chat room to talk and encourage and inspire people to to be more optimistic and let's sort of just wrap up by thinking about the link between optimism and joy. How do they fit together? Very well. <laughs> um, I, is, yeah. No, I, I, I was, um, yeah, I think they fit so well together. I think, um, I think, uh, I, I just find, and I, I, yeah, I think they're very interlinked in, into how I would describe joyful things, both in my work life and in my personal life. Um, I think you have to be obviously very optimistic to kind of believe that you can achieve what you're going to achieve at work. And I think there's great joy 
in achieving that as well. Uh, I particularly find joy um, through outcomes and solutions that actually bring great benefit. Um, I think that is so joyful. Wouldn't have happened if I wasn't optimistic or persevered. Um, that's work. And personally, uh, I think there is so much optimism in the human connection that we have with one another when we're present, when we're really engaged and connected with ourselves and with each other. And the joy with that is actually just realizing that you've had this great laugh with someone, for example, and you know, you, you're living a life that's good and funny and joyful. Mm. And you're experiencing it right now, you know? So I think, um, but you have to be aware of these things. You have to see that that is actually happening. I believe it can happen again. That's the optimism bit and enjoy the joy that you're experiencing in the moment um, in that case too. And Andrew, I've already written a two-page essay for you on this, so I'm not going to take another eight minutes on it. But for me, um, when I looked back at what I'd written about optimism in the early days from our research, um, it was clear that it was at the core. So one of the things, earliest things I wrote as the head of the Centre for Optimism was an optimistic spirit experiences more joy. A joyful soul tends to be more optimistic. So they run together. And a friend of mine who's a poet and an amber jewellery designer, this is my quote she gave me. Optimism comes from deep within your soul and the joy it brings when you create a poem, a novel, a painting, a piece of jewellery or a new recipe for your family. And Norman Vincent Peale, you know, the 1950s writer and the tough-minded optimist, he said... Quite apart from medication, if I can get people to lift themselves mentally for 10 minutes every day into an area of pure joy, meaning undiluted optimism, mm -hmm. I can get them well and keep them well. So our research, you know, the two run together. Um, and, you know, when I think of just the other day, my birthday, you know, it opened with a sunny day a breeze from the sea and this intoxicating aroma of sea air and roses in my front garden. Um, you know, I, the other day, or oh, just a couple of days ago, my son got his final exam results uh, for the last end of school. And, you know, I think for me, joy comes from seeing undiluted happiness in other people. Mm. Um, so, you know, joy, and, and, and of course, as you said right at the beginning of our conversation, it's focusing on what's happening. It's understanding what's happening. It's, you know, not being lost in your phone when you're walking in a forest, mm. not being lost in a phone when you're in a cafe, when, like me, you can bother the people on the next table, um, you know, or you can sit on a plane and read a book or you can ear bash the person next to you for two hours. Um, so it's taking up those opportunities for human engagement, engagement with nature. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so whether it's the zephyr, you know, caressing your skin or, or the intoxicating perfume. But most importantly for me, it's watching a burst of happiness. So, mm -hmm. so happiness is hard. You know, it's a hundred different things and maintaining happiness all the time. That's hard. 
but experiencing moments of sheer joy. Those are the memories you're going to tell your grandchildren and great-grandchildren about. Absolutely, absolutely. I always say that, you know, the pursuit of happiness is a bit of a, a fool's gold in that time because all emotions are, are valid and you shouldn't be trying to um, pursue happiness um, when really it's a time for grief or a time for anger or a time for sadness. You know, let these other emotions come up when they come up, but maintain your underlying sense of joy, which is underpinned by your underlying sense of optimism. As Noreen so wisely said, as long as you forget about the timeline and have this belief, everything will be as it should be. Everything will be okay. We'll be there. So this has been wonderful, wonderful. I'm just going to wrap up with one final question just to wrap us up. And that's like you have your signature question. We have ours. And that really is what brings you joy today. So Victor, Noreen, wrap us up with with that. Thank you, Phil. Well, this this conversation, it, 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 you know, I today I, I didn't have a busy day because I really set myself for for enjoying this conversation and preparing myself for this conversation. So uh, this joyfulness, this this conversation, and then I was walking down the street and there were two ladies picking up litter, um, and I ended up they ended up outside the front of my house with the rose bushes. Um, out the front, so I was trimming them some roses and picking mint from my community garden and coriander, and then another neighbour came over and we were sharing stories. So for me, joy came out of of that as well. And then you know I've got a close relative in hospital um, who's had a stroke, and um, you know, today she was telling me you know that that the rehabilitation looks like it's going to work fabulously and there she is you know having suffered a you know a serious physical condition but mm. such faith and confidence that things are going to get better so mm. those are three things from today Noreen um you know what I, I was actually I thought of one when I was listening to you Victor and then I was just inspired to think of another so was, there's two things today like particularly today so a girlfriend of mine that I haven't spoken to in about three years. Well, I mean, we've texted, but we haven't really spoken. She's in Sydney. Uh, I'm in Melbourne. She's down in Melbourne now. We're going to catch up. And she just rang me. And we just, I was able to talk. And we just, like, talked and laughed like there had been no time mm. in between our last conversation. And it was this lovely knowingness and lovely little kind of banter and real laughter and real humour and it was just so lovely. And I, I just felt really, really grateful and so joyful to have it. You know, it was, it was just it was only 15 minutes. And I just thought, that's so lovely. That's so lovely. So um, that brought me great joy. And the other joyful thing that happened today is that I think today is about the 49th or 50th day of friends of ours. Again, they're actually based in Sydney. Um, we caught up with them, you know, 50 days ago. They're up here. And since then, they've sent a joke every single day to myself and my husband. Like, that's how we communicate. There's even no talk now. I just kind of give a high five or a ha 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 or whatever else. But it's just, it's so lovely because, you know, it pings now. And I'll say, oh, hang on, I'll check it on my phone. And my husband will say, that was okay. Or, oh, that's really funny, you know. So um, that just uh, has given us daily joy for the last 50 days. And it's the little things. So that's two things today. Really? Are we going to ask Andrew 
what brings him joy and what brought him joy today. Yes, I'd love to know. Love to know. The day is early here. It's um, it was has made 11 o'clock in the morning. So I have to agree with Victor that having this conversation with you two has brought me so much joy already, making me see the the world has this future that, that's bright. And if we change our mindset, um, we can all make that future actually happen. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling really optimistic about that this morning. I've actually come back last night from a long trip to the US and, and America and now coming wow. back and opening my my windows and seeing all this beautiful white snow um, is bringing me a lot of joy and knowing that I can go out in that nature today and just wrap up warm, feel that cold air in the lungs and enjoy that is, is something that, that's going to bring me a lot of joy today to, to be able to get out in nature and experience that that cold which over a number of times becomes less joyful and you have to sort of reprogram yourself to find the joy in it again but this first time when you just see it the beautiful whiteness of it all just brings me so much joy um to be able to see the nature and to get in so those are the two things i have so far today great and great excellent so we're going to leave it there everybody thank you for listening in we look forward to seeing you all in the in the optimism chat room where you're going to be inspired over the coming weeks to start practicing optimism, to start feeding back to us what's working, um, what joy and pleasure you're bringing to people through your smiles, through your gratitude and all the other things you're going to be doing there. And a big thank you to you, Noreen, and to you, Victor, for sharing mm-hmm. your, your thoughts today, your realistic optimism, as well as your infectious optimism It's been a real joyful pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew.